Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tonight, I will be continuing the story, King Arthur and His Knights by Maud Radford Warren. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. The Story of Sir Gareth and Lynette Gareth served in the kitchen of the king only one month, for his mother became sorry for the promise she had asked of him and sent armor for him to Arthur's court, with a letter to the king telling who the youth was. With great joy, Gareth then went to Arthur and said, My lord, 
I can fight as well as my brother Gawain. At home we have proved it. Then make me a knight, in secret, for I do not want the other knights to know my name. Make me a knight, and give me permission to right the first wrong that we hear of. The king said gravely, You know all that my knights must promise? Yes, my lord Arthur, I am willing to promise all. I will make you my knight in secret, since you wish it, Arthur said, except that I must tell Sir Lancelot. He is my dearest knight, and I keep no secrets from him. Gareth said that he would be glad to have Sir Lancelot know. Accordingly, the king spoke to Sir Lancelot about Gareth. I have promised him that he may right the first wrong we hear of, said Arthur, but as he has not yet proved what he can do, I want you to take a horse and follow him when he sets forth. Cover up the great lions on your shield so that he will not know who you are. Sir Lancelot agreed. Then Gareth was secretly made a knight. That same day, a beautiful young damsel came into Arthur's hall. She had cheeks as pink as apple blossoms and very sharp eyes. Who are you, damsel? asked the king. And what do you need? My name is Lynette, she said, and I am of noble blood. I need a knight to fight for my sister, Leonore, a lady, also noble, rich, and most beautiful. Why must she have a knight? questioned Arthur. My lord king, she lives in Castle Perilous. Around this castle, a river circles three times, and there are three passing places, one over each circle of the river. Three knights who are brothers keep a constant guard over these passing places. A fourth knight, also a brother, clad in black armor, stands guard in front of my sister's castle. We have never seen this knight's face or heard his voice, but his brothers tell us he is the most powerful and daring knight in the world. All these four keep my sister a prisoner. And why? Because they want her to marry one of them so that they can have her great wealth. She refuses, but they say that they will have their way. In the meantime, they demand that you send Sir Lancelot to fight with them. They hope to overthrow Sir Lancelot, thus proving themselves the greatest warriors in the land. But I believe that Sir Lancelot could overthrow them. Therefore, I have come for him. Arthur remembered his promise to Sir Gareth and did not speak of Sir Lancelot, but asked, Tell me what these four knights, your enemies, are like. The three I have talked to are vain and foolish knights, my lord, answered the damsel. They have no law, and they acknowledge no king. Yet they are very strong, and therefore I am come for Sir Lancelot. Then Sir Gareth rose up crying, Sir King, give me this adventure. At this, Sir Kay started up in anger, but Gareth continued, My king, you know that I am but your kitchen boy, yet I have grown so strong on your meat and drink that I can overthrow a hundred such knights. The king looked at him a moment and said, Go then. At this, all the knights were amazed. The damsel's face flushed with anger. Shame, king, she cried. I asked you for your chief knight and you give me a kitchen boy. Then before anyone could prevent it, 
she ran from the hall, mounted her horse, and rode out of the city gate. Gareth followed, and at the doorway found a noble war horse which the king had ordered to be given to him. Nearby were the two faithful servants who had followed him from his mother's home. They held his armour. Gareth put it on, seized his lance and shield, jumped upon his horse, and rode off joyfully. Sir Kay, who was watching, said to Sir Lancelot, Why does the king send my kitchen lad to fight? I will go after the boy and put him to his pots and pans again. Sir Kay, do not attempt to do that, said Sir Lancelot. Remember that the king commanded him to go. But Sir Kay leaped on his horse and followed Gareth. Meanwhile, Sir Gareth overtook the damsel and said, Lady, I am to right your wrong. Lead, and I follow. But she cried, Go back. I smell kitchen grease when you are near. Go back. Your master has come for you. Gareth looked behind and saw that Sir Kay was riding up to him. When Sir Kay was within hearing distance, he shouted, Come back with me to the kitchen. I will not, said Gareth. Then Sir Kay rode fiercely at the youth. Gareth, however, struck him from his horse and then turned to the damsel, saying, Lead on, I follow. She rode for a long time in silence with Gareth a few paces behind her. At last she stopped and said, You have overthrown your master, you kitchen boy, but I do not like you any better for it. I still smell the kitchen grease. Sir Gareth said very gently, You may speak to me as you will, but I shall not leave you till I have righted your wrong. Ah, she said scornfully, you talk like a noble knight, but you are not one. And she again galloped in front of him. Presently, as they passed a thick wood, a man broke out of it and spoke to them. Help, they are drowning my lord. Follow, I lead, shouted Gareth to the damsel and rushed into the wood. There he found six men trying to drown a seventh. Gareth attacked them with such vigour that they fled. When the rescued man had recovered, he thanked Gareth warmly. I am the lord of the castle yonder, he said, and these are my enemies. You came in time. Then he begged Gareth and the lady to stay all night in his castle. They agreed and he led the way. He took them into his large hall and was about to seat them side by side at a dining table. But the damsel said in scorn, This is a kitchen boy, and I will not sit by him. The lord looked surprised. He took Gareth to another table and sat beside him. After they had eaten, he said, You may be a kitchen boy, or the damsel may be out of her mind, but whichever is the case, you are a good fighter and you have saved my life. The next morning, Gareth and the damsel set forth. They rode for a long while in silence, and then she said, Sir Kitchen Boy, although you are so low, I would like to save your life. Soon we are coming to one who will overthrow you, so turn back. But Gareth refused. In a little while they came to the first circle of the river. The passing place was spanned by a bridge. On the farther side of the bridge was a beautiful pavilion, draped in silk of gold and crimson colours. In front of it passed a warrior without armour. Damsel, he cried, is this the knight you have brought from Arthur's court to fight with me? 
Ah, she said, the king scorns you so much that he has sent a kitchen boy to fight you. Take care that he does not fall on you before you are armed, for he is a knave. The warrior went inside his tent for his armor, and the damsel said to Gareth, Are you afraid? Damsel, he said, I am not afraid. I would rather fight twenty times than hear you speak so unkindly of me. Yet your cruel words have put strength into my arm. I shall fight well. Then the knight came forth all in armor, and he said, Youth, you are a kitchen boy. Go back to your king. You are not fit to fight with me. Gareth rode at him fiercely, saying, I am of nobler blood than you. He fought so well that soon his enemy was overcome. Then Gareth said, Go to Arthur's court and say that his kitchen boy sent you. When the knight had departed, Gareth rode on with the damsel in advance. After a little while, she stopped her horse, and when he had caught up with her, she said, Youth, I do not smell the kitchen grease so much as I did. Then she galloped off, laughing over her shoulder, while Gareth followed her a little more slowly. When they reached the second circle of the river, the damsel said, Here is the brother of the knight you overthrew. He is stronger than the first. You would better go home, kitchen boy. Gareth answered nothing. Out of the tent by the bridge which crossed the second circle of water came a knight, clad in armour which glowed like the sun. Lynette shouted to him, I bring a kitchen boy who has overthrown your brother. Ah, shouted the knight, and rode fiercely at Sir Gareth. The two fought for a long time. The warrior was strong, but Sir Gareth was stronger, and at last overthrew him and sent him back to Arthur's court. The damsel Lynette had ridden far ahead of him. When he came near her, she said, The knight's horse slipped, and that is why you overcame him. And now are you ready to fight with the third knight? For there he stands. At the third and innermost circle of the river stood the third knight, clad not in armour, but in hardened skins. Sir Gareth saw that he was more powerful than his brothers. The two at once began to fight on the bridge, but Sir Gareth's sword could not pierce the hard skins. Again and again he tried and failed. He grew tired and began to fear that he should be conquered. But all at once, when his strokes were becoming feeble, Lynette cried out to him, Well done, good knight. You are no kitchen boy, but a brave lord. Strike for me. Do not lose. You are worthy to be a knight of the round table. When Sir Gareth heard this, he was so encouraged that he made a final great effort and threw his enemy over the bridge into the water. Then he turned to Lynette, saying, Lead. I follow. But Lynette, proud now of her valiant escort and humbled and ashamed of her misjudging him, said, No, we shall ride side by side. I'm very sorry I called you a kitchen boy, for I know that you are a noble knight. They rode happily side by side till dusk, when they came in sight of Castle Perilous. Just as they were about to cross the moat, the knight overtook them. It was Sir Lancelot who had been delayed because he had stopped to help Sir Kay after Sir Gareth had thrown him from his horse. The great knight, as he rode up to the two in the twilight, seeing only the shields which Sir Gareth had taken from the three knights, thought the young man was an enemy 
and attacked him. Sir Lancelot was so strong that he soon overcame the youth. As he fell, Lynette cried out in shame and sorrow, and Sir Gareth said, Oh, I am thrown. Sir Lancelot knew Sir Gareth's voice and raised him up, saying, I am Lancelot, and I am sorry to have overthrown you, my friend. Sir Gareth said that it was no dishonour to be beaten by Sir Lancelot. Then the three rode into the castle, and there they met the fourth knight, who was all covered with black armour. Sir Lancelot wished to fight with him, but Sir Gareth would not permit it. This must be my adventure, he said. Sir Gareth rode at the knight, expecting to meet a very strong man, but he easily unhorsed him. His enemy cried, Oh, spare my life, I am not a knight. And he took off his helmet and showed the face of a young boy. My three brothers made me pretend to be a fierce knight, he explained. They thought it would make people more afraid if they believed we were four strong knights. Sir Lancelot and Sir Gareth laughed heartily, and so did Lynette. They took the boy into the castle where Lynette's sister, Leonore, who was now freed from her money-loving captors, greeted them with much joy. She put before them a great feast, and this time Sir Gareth and Lynette sat side by side. Afterwards, a marriage was made between them, and they went to live with King Arthur in Camelot. Sir Ivan Among Arthur's knights at the round table was one who was a mixture of good and bad, as indeed most people are. His name was Sir Ivan, brave, kind-hearted and merry, but at the same time fickle, sometimes forgetful of his promises and inclined to make light of serious things. One night, in the early spring, the knights and ladies of Arthur's court were sitting in the dining hall. The king and Guinevere had withdrawn, but were expected to return. Supper had been served, and the last course, consisting of pomegranate seeds and dates, had just been carried off. A fire had been built in the deep hearth, and the four bronze pillars in front were lighted by the flames. Four little pages in blue and white velvet kirtles sat on stools watching the fire, and perhaps dreaming of the days when they too should be warriors and have adventures. Sir Ivan was telling of his experience with the Black Knight. It was when I was very young, he said. Indeed, I had just been made a knight. Someone told me of the wicked Black Knight who lived and still lives in a wood a long way from here. Knowing that he did much evil, I determined to kill him. I rode to the wood where he lived and in which I found a marble platform. In the middle of it was a sunken space holding a fountain. I walked to this, and following the instructions of some writing which was on the stone, picked up a cup that lay at hand, and filling it with water, poured it into the fountain. Then a great storm of wind and rain arose, and when it was at its height, the black knight rode up and began to attack me. We fought for a little while, but he easily overthrew me. Thinking me dead, he rode back, leaving me on the ground. But after a time, I was able to mount my horse and went back to my mother's castle. At this moment, the king and the queen entered, unperceived by anyone except Sir Ivan. The young man, who was always polite, sprang to his feet. 
and the other knights arose. Sir Kay, who was not always sweet-tempered, said to Sir Ivan, We all know that you are very polite, and you have more courtesy than bravery. At that, Sir Ivan said, I was almost a boy when the Black Knight overthrew me, but I could conquer him now. It is very easy to say that after you have eaten, said Sir Kay. Almost any knight feels brave and self-satisfied when he has had a good supper of venison. The king asked what the conversation was about, and Sir Ivan repeated the story of his adventure, adding, And Sir King, I crave your permission to set forth tomorrow to slay this black knight who is a pest in the land. I've heard of this man, said the king, and have often thought of sending someone to punish him, but he lives far away, and it has been necessary heretofore to right first the wrongs nearest home. Yet now his evil deeds and persecutions must cease. Tomorrow a company of us will set forth and conquer him and all his people. The king named some half-dozen of his knights, Sir Ivan among them, who were to undertake this adventure. Sir Ivan was displeased. He thought that the adventure should be his alone. So he rose in the middle of the night and stole away unattended, determined to go in advance of the others and kill the Black Knight. It did not occur to him that in proving himself brave, he was also proving himself disobedient. He rode forth in the darkness, humming merrily to himself. At daybreak he reached a valley, and as he went through it saw a great serpent fighting with a lion. Sir Ivan stopped to watch this curious combat. At last, the two fighters seemed evenly matched, but soon the huge serpent wrapped all its folds about the lion and began squeezing it to death. When Sir Ivan saw this, he drew his sword and killed the serpent. When the lion was free, it bounded up to Sir Ivan, and he was afraid that it meant to kill him, but it fawned at his feet like a spaniel. He stroked it and put his arms around its neck. When he mounted his horse, the beast followed him, refusing to go away. Then Sir Ivan made up his mind that they were to be companions. For many days the two kept close together, and at night Sir Ivan would go to sleep with his head on the lion's neck. One day, as they came to a square castle set in a meadow, some people who stood on the castle walls began to shoot arrows at the lion, but Sir Ivan stopped them, telling them that the animal was tame. Then they told him that it was their rule that no one should pass by that castle without doing battle with their lord. Sir Ivan told them that he was quite willing to obey their rule, so they opened the castle gate. They said he must make his lion stay outside, but Sir Ivan refused to do this. He promised, however, to make the lion lie down quietly. Then the two were allowed to enter. The courtyard was a large paved place in which there were a score of armed men. Presently, the lord of the castle came forward. This lord was much larger than Sir Ivan, and the lion, on seeing him, began to lash its tail. But Sir Ivan ordered it to be still, and it at once obeyed. Then Sir Ivan and the knight battled together. The knight was powerful, but Sir Ivan was very agile and skillful. He was not able to strike so hard as could his enemy, but he was better able to avoid blows. 
Therefore, it was not long before he got the advantage and overthrew the Lord. When this happened, the Lord called for help and ordered his armed men to kill Sir Ivan. The whole twenty began to obey this treacherous order. But just as they were about to fall upon Sir Ivan, the lion bounded up among them, roaring savagely. Within a few strokes of its powerful paws, it disabled the men. Sir Ivan told the lord of the castle that he must ride to Camelot and give himself up to Arthur to be judged for his treachery. Then Sir Ivan rode away from the castle, and now that the lion had saved his life, he became very fond of the animal. After many days of travel, Sir Ivan reached the forest in the midst of which was the castle of the Black Knight. He rode to the platform of stone, dismounted, and poured water into the fountain. As before, a storm arose, and at its height, the Black Knight reappeared. He recognized the armor of Sir Ivan and said, Aha, I see I did not kill you before, but you shall not escape me this time. The best man shall win, said Sir Ivan cheerfully. Then the two began a great combat. Their swords clashed so that the noise of the fountain was drowned. They fought so eagerly that they were not even aware of the storm. It was not long before the Black Knight began to grow weak from the many powerful and death-dealing strokes from Sir Ivan's sword. At last, seeing that he was mortally wounded, the Black Knight turned his horse and galloped in the direction of his castle. Ordering the lion to stay where it had lain during the combat, Sir Ivan followed. But he could not quite catch up with the Black Knight, although gaining on him inch by inch. By the time the castle moat was reached, Sir Ivan was only five feet behind. The horses thundered one after the other over the bridge. The Black Knight rode under the portcullis, or sharp iron gate, which was raised. The instant he was inside, the portcullis fell in order to shut out Sir Ivan. But Sir Ivan had already passed beneath it, and as it fell, his horse was cut in two. Even the long plume in Sir Ivan's helmet was shorn off and lay outside the gate. Sir Ivan sprang to his feet and drew his sword to renew his attack upon the Black Knight, but he was already dead and lay across his panting horse's neck. Then Sir Ivan realized what his recklessness had cost him. There he was, alone in a strange castle, the lord of which he had just killed. Soon the people of the castle would come and capture him, for he could not escape since the portcullis was down. He ran into the castle and up the stairs leading to the turret. He was fast growing weak from the wounds he had received, and his armour was heavy. Moreover, in spite of his care, it clashed at every step, and he was afraid someone would soon hear him. He had all but reached the top of the stairs when the door of the turret room opened and a little maiden looked down upon him. He begged her not to cry out and telling her who he was and what he had done, asked her to hide him. I will, she said, because you are brave and you are wounded and because you have killed that wicked tyrant, the Black Knight. He does not own this castle at all. It belongs to a beautiful lady, his cousin, who is my mistress. He keeps her here a prisoner because she will not marry him. Then the little maiden led him into the room. She concealed his armor in a hole in the side of the wall and told him to hide himself between the two mattresses of the bed. 
Before he had time to do so, however, they heard a great noise in the courtyard, and looking down, saw that the body of the black knight had been discovered. Near it stood a beautiful lady, more beautiful than any Sir Ivan had ever seen, except Queen Guinevere. She was dark like the queen, and her eyes were as bright as stars. He would have looked at her a long time, but the little maiden begged him to hide without delay. Quick, she cried. The men have seen that there is a front part of a horse inside the gate, and they know that the person who has killed our lord must be here. Even now they've begun the search, for they all love the black knight, although my mistress does not, and they will hang you if they find you. So Sir Ivan crept up between the mattresses, and the little maiden hurried down the stairs and went to her beautiful mistress. Presently, Sir Ivan heard men tramping up the turret steps. They often stopped, trying all the doors they came to, and at last entered the room in which he lay. One of them, peering into the hole in the wall where his armor was, said, Here is armor. But another replied, That is some that once was used by our master. There's no need to drag it into the light. Then they searched among all the furnishings of the room, but found no one. At last, as they were leaving, one of the men thrust his sword twice through the mattress. The second thrust cut deeply into Sir Ivan's arm, but as the knight was brave, he did not utter a cry. When the men had gone, he crept out and found that the cut in his arm and his other wounds were bleeding badly. Just then the little maiden came in with food. She cried out in alarm when she saw the blood and quickly tore a piece of linen from her robe for bandages. When all the wounds had been carefully attended to, she gave him a plentiful supper and promised to take care of him until there was a good opportunity for him to escape. She visited him every morning and told him the day's news in the castle. He learned that a lion kept roaring about the walls and that the bowmen had tried to kill it but could not. Sir Ivan was sure that it was his lion and longed to have it but knew that this was impossible. And she told him how the people of the castle had been angry at their lady because she would not marry the black knight. But now that he was dead, acknowledged her as mistress and obeyed her in everything. The little maiden said she thought that if the lady were told that Sir Ivan was hidden, she would probably see that he had a safe conduct out of the castle. I want never to leave this castle, said Sir Ivan, for I love your lady. This pleased the little maiden, for she had learned to respect Sir Ivan. So she went to the lady of the castle and told her all about the stranger. The lady had Sir Ivan moved to a rich apartment where she could visit him often and help the little maid in her care of him. She did not tell her people, however, that this strange knight had killed their lord. As Sir Ivan recovered, he soon found courage to tell her how beautiful she was, that he loved her more than anything in the world. He said that if she would marry him, he would stay with her forever and never seek for more adventures. All he asked was that she would let in his lion, which still continued to roar outside the castle walls. When the lady heard the story of the lion, it seemed to her that if Sir Ivan were so kind to an animal, he would probably be much kinder to her. So she said that she would marry him. The people of the castle saw and liked him and agreed to obey him as their lord. 
When they were told that the lion they had tried to kill belonged to him and must be admitted to the castle, they showed some fear. Sir Ivan told them that there was no need for this, for the beast was very gentle and was making noise only because of his desire for its master. He went outside the castle walls and called. Soon there was heard a loud roaring, a big yellow body bounded out of the forest, and the lion came leaping into its master's feet. It frisked about him and rubbed its head on his arm, just as a favorite dog might do. When the people saw how tame it was, they were no longer afraid. Sir Ivan and the beautiful lady were soon married, and for a long time everyone was very happy. Sir Ivan sent a letter to King Arthur, telling the result of his adventure. Soon the messenger returned bearing rich gifts from the king and Guinevere, and an invitation to come to Camelot whenever they wished to. The lady, however, persuaded Sir Ivan to promise to remain with her in her castle. One day, a party of the knights of the round table rode into the courtyard. They were going on a great adventure, and stopped by the way to see how Sir Ivan and his beautiful wife fared. When Sir Ivan saw them, all his old-time love of fighting came back, and he went to his lady and begged her to let him go with the knights. Ah, my Ivan, she said, you told me that you would never leave me. A knight ought to seek adventures, he said, and I will return to you. She paused for a while and then said, I will let you go if you will promise to come back in a year and a day, that is, next Whitsuntide. He gladly promised, and she said, If you break this promise, I will never see you again. But Sir Ivan was sure that he would not break the promise, because he loved her too much for that. So off he rode with the knights, followed by his faithful lion. The lady and the little maiden waved farewells to Sir Ivan from the tower, until they could no longer see him. Then they again took up the life they had lived before he came to the castle. So Ivan rode with the knights for many months and had many adventures. At last, just as the year was drawing to a close, he started homeward. On the way, however, he stopped at Sir Arthur's court to pay his respects to the king and the queen. They both remembered him and greeted him kindly. A great tournament was being held at the time in Camelot, and the king asked Sir Ivan if he would like to take part. Sir Ivan was pleased, for he loved the display of such combats. During the three days of the tournament, he distinguished himself greatly. On the evening of the third day, as the knights were sitting in the great hall of the round table, a little maiden entered. She went up to King Arthur and gave him a ring. This ring, she said, is one Sir Ivan gave my lady. She returns it and has vowed never to see him again because he has broken his promise to her. Then, before anyone could stop her, she left the hall, mounted her horse, and rode away. Sir Ivan sprang to his feet, staring wildly. Whitsuntide had fallen on the first day of the tournament. His year and a day had more than passed, and he had forgotten his promise. He rushed from the hall and down the hill, through the streets of Camelot, out of the city gate, and into the forest. He ran on and on until he fell exhausted. The next day, he awoke in a fever and would have died but for his faithful lion. The poor animal tried to make Sir Ivan rise, but seeing that he could not, dragged him to the edge of a brook 
where he could drink when he was thirsty. The lion also brought him game. At first, Sir Ivan would not touch it, but finally began to eat it raw. After a time, he became better physically, but his senses were gone. In his madness, he wandered all through the woods, fighting with the trees and bushes. The lion always followed him, protecting him from other animals and from men. One day, when the lion was absent finding food, Sir Ivan lay asleep. A good hermit came up to him and, pitying his condition, lifted him in his arms and carried him to his hut. He bathed a poor knight, cut his hair, and put a robe upon him. He was laying him upon a bed when the lion came roaring to the door and dashed it open. When it saw the hermit tending its master, it fawned at his feet. After that, Sir Ivan spent much of his time in the hut. The lion supplied him with food, bringing meat to the hermit, who always divided it into four parts. Three parts he gave to the lion, and one he cooked for Sir Ivan and himself. Sometimes, Sir Ivan would run away from the hermit and wander for days in the forest. The lion took care of him and always led him back to the hermit's hut. Once, however, Sir Ivan set forth in the direction of his wife's castle. At night, the lion tried to take him to the hut, but in vain. For days he wandered, always in the same direction, until at last he reached the wood where the stone platform was. He laid himself down upon it and slept. Soon a lady and a maid appeared. The lion sprang at them, but when it reached their feet, it licked the lady's hand, for she was its mistress. It took her robe in its teeth and pulled her gently to the spot where Sir Ivan lay. At first she would not look at him, because she had not forgiven him for breaking his promise. But the little maiden said, Dear mistress, look at him. The story which the knights of Arthur's court told us about his madness must be true. If you will but look at his face, you will see that it is the face of a man who has lost his senses. Then the lady knelt beside him. When she saw his worn features and his tattered garments, she began to believe that he really had lost his senses from grief. She sent the maiden to the castle for an ointment she had. It was so powerful that if it were rubbed over a person who was ill, it would cure him, no matter what his disease was. When the maid brought it, the lady put it upon Sir Ivan, but so gently as not to arouse him. After several hours, Sir Ivan awoke. At first he hardly knew where he was, but soon he recollected all that had happened, and seeing his lady near, begged her to forgive him. This she did, and they were reconciled. Sir Ivan was sure that he would never again forget to keep a promise. For some months, they lived very happily in the castle. Then they went to Camelot in order to be nearer to Arthur and the knights of the round table. Good night. <laughs>